Hi, and welcome back to the biggest, best, and absolute craziest podcast on the planet. One, One Hit KO! KO. <laughs> that's, I love it's, a, it's a really enthusiastic one hit KO there. Um, we're bringing you the, the most detailed, the most pro- thought provocative discourse on video gaming, sometimes tech, and sometimes even baking um, on this podcast. Um, if you'd like to, you know, join in on the conversation or join us on social media and interact with us, um, you can follow us at One Hit KO Podcast on, you know, Facebook, Spotify, iTunes, Twitter, soon Instagram, or your favourite social media platforms. And also, you can email us at your questions at One Hit KO Podcast at gmail dot com. Um, unfortunately, Rob, my co-host, isn't you know available to join us this week, so you're stuck with me and my absolute extreme positivity. But I do have a surprise. And that is a special guest who will accompany me for the next hour or so. So, without further ado, let me introduce Luke. Luke, how are you doing? Hey, Mo, I'm doing great. Uh, this is, it feels like a long time coming. Uh, faithful <laughs> yes. listener since episode one. Uh, <laughs> and uh, to give uh, just a brief intro for, for people who might not uh, recognize me or my name or the accent that I speak with, uh, I am a... Uh, student. I'm a former student who studied abroad at London School of Economics, and so joined the gaming society there, and met you and Rob and and a bunch of the crew there, and it's just an awesome experience getting to meet everyone. And uh, coming from the United States, uh, you know, having gone to school in Washington D.C., I'm working in market research now. Uh, gaming's kind of been something that I grew up with, something that I continue to do, and uh, really broke down some of the the weird social barriers of you know being abroad for a year in in the UK. Mm-hmm. Uh, people think it's the same as you know basically being in the US for an extra year, but it's totally different. And uh, video games are such an easy social lubricant to kind of yeah. uh, acclimate for sure. So no, it's it's great to finally talk with you about some video games on this podcast for sure. Yeah, it's it's definitely going to be fun, especially given the the conversations that we're going to have on this podcast. It should it should be really good. I'm looking um, forward to it. Yeah. So maybe if we um, just just a few questions to really let the audience get to know you. Um, I guess the first one is, which we ask all our guests, um, is just, you know, the, the fave old question of, you know, what's your favorite game of all time? That's uh, it's such a simple question. It's super <laughs> difficult to answer. Uh, it, it it takes into account like a lot of different things, like where you were when you played these games. What year was it? What were you doing socially? Where were you in terms of school? Uh, I think for me, I one of the one of the best experiences I had was about two years ago. I played a beta, a playable demo for Monster Hunter World, and it was the first Monster Hunter game I'd ever played. Um, and I had a horrific time during the demo. It, it was I had no idea what the controls were. I was pressing the right trigger and absolutely nothing was <laughs> happening. This is not a hack and slash game. This is no, there's no targeting system that you can just, you know, rely on and, and safely, you know, strafe around your, your, the enemies. It's, it's a totally different way of, of playing. And so I had a horrible time during the demo and I ended up for some reason, just 
you know, a lot of people talk about this franchise as something that you just put hundreds of hours into and become really good at. And I thought that there was something there that, you know, mm-hmm. left untouched. So I ended up dumping a little over 300 hours into oh, wow. it at this point. And, you know, I came along with one of my best friends to, to go on this journey. And we've really kind of loved immersing ourselves in it. And I think it's one of the best games because it's something that, you love playing when you're in the moment, the moment-to-moment action of hunting mm-hmm. and learning how to prepare for a hunt. That ultimately you realize you still know nothing. You feel like, you know, the Jon Snow meme, right? You know nothing, Jon Snow. It's, <laughs> I, I still have no idea what I'm doing half the time, but it's just so fun to know that there's an even deeper world of gameplay. There's just there more it. and more and more to explore in that world, whether it's from the gameplay, I assume, and, and also how potions and stuff like that interact in the game. No, absolutely. There's there's a whole wealth of, of things to consider with it. And so I, I've really enjoyed it. So, well, favorite game is, is sort of a very lofty title for sure. I think it's, it's the best game I've even yet to play in that respect. Wow. Right. It's wow. yeah. That's, that's high praise. I, I tried playing Monster Hunter. Newest one was Generations, right? Uh, th- so that's the most recent one that came out. I know they, yeah. they ported it to the Switch, but World is technically World, the one most developed most I think, recently. I think that's the one I'm, I'm thinking of, the the one mm. that initially came out on PS4. That's um, right. And on PC. Um, and it was interesting. I wasn't too sure what I was doing, and I didn't quite enjoy the the, the lack of lock the lack of a lock on in combat yeah and maybe that was just me because i was just you know trying to get out for an hour at a friend's place but um it's something i definitely want to delve into especially since i saw so much praise around world at its release in terms of the quality of life features they improved on on mm-hmm. on that particular entry in the series so yeah totally interesting it, choice it makes sense and a lot of those quality of life things come from things that aren't even said in the game so like mm. the locking on to creatures right the default settings they have for that don't even do that but there are so many menus and sub menus in the game to finally yep. change things and tweak things how you want them I, it's yeah it's it's something else and uh, i i like to think that world kind of kicked off this amazing past like two years of capcom as well mm. right not only is like best-selling capcom game ever but you know after that, soon after, was uh, the Resident Evil 2 remake. Yes. It seems like they've been on a high this entire time since. Yeah, yeah. Uh, maybe they can release a few other lost, forgotten classics like Viewful Joe on the GameCube. And oh. PS2. Uh, <laughs> Dude, that game would be so great on Switch. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Port it, port it, please. <laughs> um, so, um, my next follow-up question, given that we're all in some kind of form of lockdown even if it is easing at the moment, is what's got you through lockdown? Um, mm. What have you been playing, consuming, um, just doing in general? Yeah, definitely. It's a timely question because it feels like we're about to leave lockdown, but yeah. for all we know, there's another lockdown around the corner. Another wave, uh, yeah. Definitely. Uh, for me, it's been sort of a mix of things. I, I feel like since you know everybody's at home for COVID, we should be like, plowing through a bunch of things on the backlog trying to clear out all these small tasks and projects but yeah i've really actually been kind of jumping into a bunch of new media mm-hmm. uh, i've actually picked up a couple new books that you know are typically outside of my realm of, of style i i always love philosophy in university but uh actually went out and got this new book called how to think like a roman emperor oh it, interesting yeah it, it it talks a lot about the stoicism and the teachings from marcus aurelius uh, yes. you know, a great example of stoicism in roman history uh, and it kind of contextualizes it into different philosophical 
modern practices to help people get through, you know, difficult times. And it's, it doesn't read like a self-help book. It reads more like a sort of a historical thriller alongside some of these philosophical teachings. So it, it's, it's really interesting to kind of mark it up and have my own thoughts on the margins next to it. Yeah, that's, that's, that's a really interesting book to, to be reading in lockdown, like kind of just taking a back, a back seat from life like everyone else is and, and delving back into the past and seeing what we can learn from the past almost in, in terms of, you know, if, if, if that makes sense in terms of those, those themes. That's um, a really good way of putting it. Yeah. Yeah. What have you, what have you learned? most from that book hmm. uh, what's, so, what's your biggest takeaway yeah I, I think the biggest takeaway which i think is you know hopefully marcus won't be upset with me for saying this <laughs> so hopefully i'm purporting him correctly but hopefully I you think, won't be climbing back from his grave yes and, uh, find a <laughs> knock on your door exactly uh i i think the key tenants that i've kind of started to get a better sense of is the way to sort of mental alignment amidst this world of, of what people would call our emergencies, things that stress us out. Mm-hmm. It's that it's using virtues as a way of prescribing how you should live your life. So if there's any question of you know what decision to make, what behavior to have, you can always look back at sort of their, their main you know, virtues of you know trying to become a more wise person. So whether that's moderation um, or one of those key pillars you can always kind of structure your life to live more virtuously alongside your role models and mm-hmm. sort of the the key thing there is the the cool finding was that you know not ascribing judgments to situations that happen so when something happens that you didn't expect you know if there's an accident that occurs don't let your initial knee-jerk reaction be it's yeah. good or it's bad or it's a disaster or you know, don't let your is... heart take control of the situation or your gut let that's, your brain take control. Instead. That's exactly right. It's 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 not the action that is bad. It is our judgments of the action mm. that is bad. And so we have control over our judgments. So it's a very sort of self-discipline based approach. Yeah. And it's really hard to, to adopt. And, you know, I, as I read it, I'm like, there there's no one that can truly live this way. But then again, I guess that's the point. They didn't think that this was easy. And so that's mm. why they... I mean, it's human nature just to kind of have a gut reaction or make a a judgment based on your feelings on a situ on an unexpected situation. If that makes sense, there was a an interesting behavioural talk that I visited or went to um, during um, some uh, work session that I had about two years ago, and it, it, there was a behavioural kind of scientist or, uh, that was describing a problem called the elephant and the rider. The, uh-huh. And talking about how you as you can either be the elephant or the rider in particular situations or how you react to situations. And it kind of draws similarities to what you're describing now in terms of the elephant is the wild animal, the 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 feelings in you that will just make a gut reaction to, to whatever happens, whether it's an expected or unexpected event. And the rider is your brain. It's using your judgment using your past experiences to really take control of the situation the rider on the elephant controlling mm. you know the wild instincts of the animal if that makes sense and so this 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 your 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 discussion your your commentary on that book kind of just reminds me of that that kind of I, issue definitely i've actually i've heard that connection before right it's it's like the 
the conscious decision maker versus the unconscious decision yep. maker. Yeah, exactly. no, completely. That's that's super relevant, and and I think that's a great way to frame up any sort of modern philosophy that you read or that you take in or try and develop for yourself. Cool. Yeah. One hit philosophy. I think one this hit. Is, yeah, is what this podcast should be called now. <laughs> <laughs> There's maybe several different things I could have brought up, but I, you know, I. I guess this was top of mind for sure. Is there any um, any games that you've um, played during lockdown that you've um, enjoyed? Uh, yeah, just, actually, you know, uh, there's a couple new genres I'm I'm checking out. Oh. Uh, typically, I've you know very much fallen. I've been a console player all my life, so you know your your action adventures, your mm-hmm. you know RPGs, your Western games, um, a couple JRPGs in there like the Persona games, but a couple of genres on PC I've been playing lately. Um, I've been getting into the roguelike genre a little bit more yeah and uh specifically uh game by supermassive games uh hades that's been in early access for the past year and a half it's incredible uh it is this you know procedure not procedurally generated per se but it's these randomized dungeons that you go through and you're unlocking different bonuses boons to your character have better statistics to help you kind of fight your way through these rooms to try and escape Hades. And what's amazing is that even though when you die, you have to restart your entire run, you of course carry over a little bit of experience to help put towards, you know, passive bonuses to help out on your next escape attempt. Yeah. But what I really think has been nice about this genre is that it kind of fits that perfect, you know, half an hour to 45 minute gaming sessions uh, it's this perfectly encapsulated hour of gameplay that you're excited to come back to for another run. So it's less stressful that you have to put in 20 to 40 hours or plus, uh, you know, just to play and complete a story. And this way, the story's happening around you as you're progressing through each level of the dungeon. So it's very fulfilling each time you play it for these small bite-sized chunks. And what's the story like? What 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 are you getting in terms of the story? Is it passive storytelling? You know, look, seeing images or or maybe holographic holographics on on walls, or is it more active in terms of getting speech from certain characters you might meet on these runs? How's it how's it structured? Yeah, it's it, it's sort of the latter. So it's it's almost like you're instead of an audio diary situation, like a Bioshock game or you know yeah. uh, some sort of uh, you know portal. You're actually getting fed lines every time you receive one of these bonuses. They're coming directly from the gods of Olympus themselves. So every time you go to select a bonus, there's some awesome, you know, 10, 15 second line of dialogue that's contextual to how you're playing. So if you're playing a certain way, if you've been accepting boons from uh, Poseidon the entire time, the next time you go grab a bonus from Zeus, he's like, oh, I see you've been in talks with my brother this whole time. And so it's this really cool way of them tying in the lore and the, mm. the voice dialogue into the actual gameplay. That's that's really interesting. I, I kind of like that. It's just kind of expressing your choices in a different way. That's, yeah. that's really interesting. Can you actually escape Hades? Is it actually possible to, let's say, get to the end, escape this dungeon, I assume? Or is it just getting as far... Just making the run as long as possible. It's never... It's not... You, you cannot escape Hades, essentially. That's, that's a wonderful TBD, Amal, I gotta say. <laughs> uh, I have made it to the surface, and the final okay. boss fight, of course, is fighting Hades, mm-hmm. the Lord of the Dead. Uh, and, and as a brief primer, you play as his son, 
who is trying his best to get out of Hades. He doesn't belong here. He feels like this is this is not what he's cut out for. And mm. so it's this excellent father-son drama that's playing out in front of you. Oh, interesting. Uh, but I have yet to beat the final boss. There's an option in the options menu to just check off God mode, and I've been very <laughs> tempted to just do that so I could just see the ending. Yeah. Uh, but it's kind of been fun having to reset as a result of the final boss. And uh, it's putting that is also sweat and just getting a bit further and further and further and maybe definitely. getting to that. That's the satisfaction of, you know, beating, beating the boss without, you know, turning on God mode. Definitely. And it's, it's a little cheeky too at the end, because when you die on this last boss, all of a sudden, you know, people in your main hub area are like, huh, you're back here again, huh? That's weird. <laughs> Zeus isn't around these days. I wonder where he is. And, you know, you have this awesome headcanon about like, oh, you know, he's recovering after that fight. And so yeah. next time you see him, he'll be back up on the surface waiting for you. So supposedly they're still working on the official ending mm-hmm. as it's still in early access. It's supposed to come out this year. But uh, I'm, you know, I want to see what this half-baked ending is at least because I, <laughs> I need to be able to beat him. I have to do that. This sounds really cool. You've got you've got me quite interested in, in trying out Hades. Um, it's, it's definitely, there's definitely more of the sidelines of what a roguelike is in terms of story and just interactivity between the gameplay and the story Mm. that makes it more appealing than a traditional roguelike if that makes sense Mm. and that's got me interested um so yeah i I might take a look yeah highly recommend it does not feel like an early access game this thing is completely polished there is no glitch that i've run into before uh, as playing so big kudos to this development team they know what they're doing cool um is there anything else that you've been playing um anything else that you want to mention briefly uh, you know there's a couple other things i've been doing a lot of it has been on pc mm-hmm. um i i have to say i just beat the last of us part two and you know no spoilers at all but i really enjoyed my experience and that's sort of you know emotionally it's kind of kept me in lockdown because now I have to spend the next few weeks kind of rationalizing my own points of view on this game, but Mm. it has, it's, it was amazing. It was an amazing experience if nothing else. So I'll, I'll leave it at that for now. Cool. Uh, One day, hopefully I, I'll, I'll get around to it and maybe we can discuss, discuss the game in more detail. Yes. Cool. So, uh, one other running thing we're doing with our guests, um, until at least these the details are you know released is um the price of the ps5 and the xbox series x we're asking every guest to predict the price of both consoles mm-hmm. um somewhere somewhere on this dock or another dock we have a running list of everybody's guesses um uh, not on not on me now but um i guess let, let's let's put this in a dollar terms what do you think the price of the base console ps5 not the digital mm-hmm. version, and the base version of the Xbox Series X, not the rumored Lockhart or cheaper Xbox console, mm-hmm. will be mm-hmm. in dollars. Yeah, uh, well, in US dollars, of course. US you dollars. Know, the, 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 <laughs> not Australian not, dollars, not those <laughs> fake dollars over there. <laughs> not um, pound sterling. No. <laughs> uh, so I think that... I really do think it, the way they've gone about describing the philosophy with these consoles Mm -hmm. it feels like i'm watching some sort of pc tech demo and i really think that these components are expensive we know they source them obviously for cheaper they buy them in bulk you know they sell the console at a loss typically and then make it up in software with games later but i wouldn't be surprised if it ends up being 
$500 USD for yep. the PlayStation 5. I feel like, you know, I'm sure for marketing, they'd love to say PS5 for five, uh, <laughs> but obviously it's going to be four ninety nine ninety nine because uh, of things, reasons. But I, I think it's going to be close to around that point. I'm sure that it would be fantastic if they could get it down to 400, but yep. that's kind of where I think this generation is going to sit. It's going to be right around that dollar mark. I think that Series X is going to, I think it's going to be the same price. I don't know if they'll be able oh. to come out and, and have that announcement be at the same time. Yeah. But I don't think that either console could necessarily or would necessarily want to have a differentiated price here and, you know, risk seeding share. I know obviously it's PS5 is in that position to charge a, a loftier price just based yep. on how successful the four was. But I, I think there'll be parity. I think they will be a, the same price on That's both consoles. That's interesting. Okay. I've, I've always thought the Xbox will be slightly cheaper. I thought if the if Sony announced the price first, I think Xbox will try and undercut them. I think there's a waiting game in terms of who's going to announce their price first. Definitely. And I still think Microsoft will undercut them slightly, but, but we'll see. I, I do agree with the, the cost of the components and how expensive they are and especially with sony just that their statements being very centered around value rather than mm. price and showing a quite a premium design and just a premium kind of style to their marketing that doesn't exude cheap or you know four hundred dollars if that mm. if that makes sense yeah definitely i you know i can't help but think about however expensive these things will be is I don't know. There, there have been such unbelievable controversies that I think we're so quick to forget. You remember the Xbox Ring of Death? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Three sixty. Like, yeah, I, I mean that killed two of my three sixties. You oh, know, wow. a brand loyal at the time, right? And they had a weird system where they were putting out iterations of the three sixty, right? With yeah. the three sixty Elite. I mean, the, the original one didn't even ship with an HDMI port. It was still component cable. Yes, that, that's true. Yeah, yeah. So I. I just can't help but feel so nervous. Like, if this, you know, collared PS5 has some sort of heating issue where, you know, the heat can't escape those vents, or if those mm. vents are for aesthetics only and not actually functional heat sinks, like, oh man, like, these console wars are, are still still very <laughs> viable, right? I mean, maybe this refrigerator style Xbox is actually ideal in terms of. For, of, for heating and cooling, yeah. Yeah, who yeah. knows? Well, well, I guess we'll have to see when uh, we get to launch and uh, we'll see which, which consoles are blowing up in people's houses, I guess. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I hope, yeah, hope, get... Hopefully not. Hopefully not. Uh, uh, yeah. Or... Whose network gets hacked first. Yes. <laughs> um, so we have a new section on the podcast called One Hit Bake O or One Bake KO, it says here. I'm not too it's, sure It's, it's going to have to be the first one there, Amo. One Hit no. Bake O. No, I'm sorry. The latter. One bake, one bake KO. KO. One, yeah, one bake KO. Yeah. We're gonna take this section over again. I think, Amal. <laughs> I'm dying over here. That's hilarious. One. Oh, God, I can't even say it. One hit bake. No, no, sorry. One no, bake no. KO. Yes, yes. <laughs> From the top, Amal. Let's do it. <laughs> one hit bake KO. <laughs> Oh uh, my god! Have you been doing any baking? Because honestly, mm. from from my perspective, I was I did promise something special this week, but unfortunately, 
my plans to make this super creative dish well it's not creative just super complex dish didn't pan out the equipment only arrived this afternoon um oh. which didn't give me enough time to to actually make it so maybe fingers crossed next week i'll have something but um i've disappointed on the the one hit bako uh point of view how about you luke well all is forgiven uh i mean this this growing arms race i'm detecting is, is you're just <laughs> amassing your your assets to to create the most complex dish soon uh, i'll have a baking company uh, <laughs> it's elon musk style let me just <laughs> slowly make acquisitions and start new companies but uh in terms of baking for me over over stay at home um i've really been enjoying some some you know quality taco nights to be honest it's my roommates over here and uh you know we're we're making it work each week here it's it's simple but always fun you know to to spice things up quite literally so yeah yeah anything else or nothing too special i've uh, experimented around with a different couple different types of shelf stable cookie mixes uh typically i always got refrigerated but those kind of were wiped out when all the grocery stores were yeah lowly stocked on their refrigerated stuff so a couple of the shelf stable ones you know i gotta say betty crocker over pillsbury for sure <laughs> uh what type of cookies do you like what's, what's, what's in your cooking mix is yeah, it chocolate it's... chip or is it you know something a bit more exotic i think in terms of personality you know everybody's always described me as an old man so <laughs> the oatmeal raisin has actually been uh, super solid and uh, yeah, i feel like people who like oatmeal raisin cookies are few and far between which is unfortunate I'm not the biggest fan of raisins. I, I do like them uncooked in, in muesli or, you know, like those those types of, you know, um, mixtures. But I'm not the biggest fan of them in something like a hot cross bun. Hot cross bun, if you're aware of them. Mm-hmm. I'm not too sure. Um, I know like, the song. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the, the, in, in baked goods, essentially, I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not a big fan of them. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Maybe, maybe I have to give your oatmeal mix, oatmeal cookie raisin mix a a try and i'll be a converted person Mm, mm, definitely cool so uh that was quite a long introduction (laughs) but i uh, know oh my gosh (laughs) unbelievable we can i think we could move on to the wax on wax off section which is our name for our new section which i still don't know why it's called the wax on wax off section uh but it has now stuck for at least this week is that a pun uh wax wax is applied but wax is not inherently sticky oh this is yeah this is you a rabbit could hole. think of i mean if you go back to the karate kid i mean daniel was doing quite a lot of chores for mr miyagi and so in that way that pun works i think we're but this is really that. going really deep now into karate kid law so i'm gonna i'm gonna stop that and <laughs> get on with the news mm-hmm. <laughs> So the biggest news I think this week is essentially the Pokemon stream that happened. I think it was Wednesday or Thursday. Can't remember the exact day, but essentially the the Pokemon company announced a, a stream from the last previous week uh, where they announced Pokemon Snap and a few other titles. Uh, that a big new announcement was coming, um, and this big new announcement was quite surprising. If you listen to last week's podcast, uh, it's definitely different to what me and Rob were thinking of in terms of a potential Diamond and, Diamond and Pearl remake or Let's Go Johto. Yes. Um, it's actually Pokemon Unite, which is a MOBA produced and developed by Tencent, Teeny Studios. 
what are your takes, Luke, on this? Because this is quite an <laughs> an interesting uh, an interesting mashup. Well, I know the dislike ratio on this announcement video is you know pretty kind of describes the reaction there. Yeah. I I'm more inclined to be curious about this type of idea, right? It, what's strange to me is that Tencent has majority ownership of Riot Games and they make mm-hmm. League of Legends. So while people say it's a League of Legends with a Pokemon skin on it. You know, there's a fair argument there, but yeah. I'm also I'm more excited about the potential for this to become some sort of esport, right? The mm. the fan base around Pokemon and sort of that known quantity, you know, very shoutcastable version of a online battle arena seems like it could be a great mix. Now the question is, this isn't for PC. This is for Switch and mobile devices. Yeah. So I mean, if Super Smash Bros. can't be thought of ever as a true competitive contender of a game, then how on earth will Pokemon Unite be able to be thought that way as well? Yeah, that's a good a good point in terms of like the online systems that Nintendo have aren't, you know, the best out there mm. in terms of feature sets, usability, quality of life issue, uh, quality of life features. Will that just be you know substituted by some Discord substitute, and you know people communicate through there? And and it, and it'll actually be all okay in terms of all that, or mm-hmm. you know, um, how will how will that you know be taken by the audience? Um, mm. It's interesting because it's definitely I definitely looked at it being disappointed, but also I was quite intrigued in terms of I I have played one MOBA game and it was the intro training match to Dota Two, which did get me mm. quite intrigued about MOBAs. So I'm just wondering, is this the game that gets me into MOBAs? If I if I try this, a a skinned version of a MOBA which of of a franchise that I like, Pokemon, that eases me into the MOBA game, a MOBA genre, does that does that get me in? Um I'm not sure. Um it looks interesting, just just not for me, I I think. No, that that's a that's a good point. That there's an accessibility here that I think is unique. I know Heroes of the Storm I always thought of as sort of a an intro to League of Legends mm. for sure, sort of leaning on the Blizzard properties, having no sort of buying system from a formal shop like League of Legends has. Um, I also played a bit of Paragon, which was that oh, over yes. the shoulder third by, person by view. Epic Games, right? That's right. I, I forgot it was by Epic Games. Yeah, I, it, they've they've shuttered it now, I believe. It's, yeah, it's formally closed, but that was sort of a unique take on the MOBA genre as well. Mm. And I think Pokemon has a very strong chance right if i know nothing about the way a moba works yeah, but i understand the characters that i'm watching on the screen i understand you know the moves they have all of a sudden that's easier than watching a league of legends match where there's hundreds of characters and i maybe know three of them yep. but if i'm not a hardcore player i have no idea what the type matchups look like i don't know what sort of the objective of every movement is there might also be a turn off in terms of the visual style and aesthetic of something like league of legends or dota v pokemon which you know is palatable to to most people so someone picking up you know looking on the app store looking at games pokemon games mm. sees this might ha- give it a go uh, g- you know gives them an entry point in terms of into into that genre and, and that game so yeah definitely there's and, potential and- here yeah, and free to start is a powerful sentence. Mm. Uh, a little ominous just with the word start there, but uh, you know, free is an interesting proposition. A lot of people will probably give it a shot, and, and if they stay with it, they might find some intrinsic value. Yeah. Looking forward to seeing how this shakes out in the future.
So yeah, maybe we'll talk about it in the future. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. maybe. Can't wait to hear Rob's perspective as well. Oh yes. Uh, <laughs> Rob might have an interesting one. <laughs> oh, I bet. Anyway, I think this comes to the end of our first section, just for a little break. But before we uh, before we close for the first section, uh, we'll we'll come back um, with a bit of a look into Luke's favorite video game music and just a bit more of a peek about you know Luke's favorite interests um, before getting into the main section of sections of this podcast, where we'll be discussing a follow up to our music OST episode, looking at video game composers and also video game concerts so stay tuned and welcome back to the one hit ko podcast as i said at the beginning the craziest podcast on the planet um and now we're going to come back and maybe you know Take a, a deeper look at Luke's interests um, and ask him about his favourite video game music. So, Luke, please take it away. What is your, your favourite video game music? Absolutely. And, uh, you know, it's it's definitely a dialogue, right? It's my passions here. I know it's shared equally by you and mm-hmm. you and Rob, for sure. And I think video game music is, is such a special type of sound that we all hear, right? When we yeah. play games... You know, a movie score can stay with you because it complements everything that's happening on the screen. But you're playing games for for more than 10 hours usually at a time. And when you're there with the music throughout, it can really have a lasting impact. So in terms of favorite video game music, it's such a huge question. So I kind of just boil it down into two main groups of, of music itself. I think both are, are incredibly important. And a lot of people I, I would imagine who play games will kind of agree with this framework uh so you know if you don't feel free to let me know how else you might group oh i'll write an angry letter to you in writing and then post it in there definitely i hope to see the (laughs) wonderful royal mail stamps when it (laughs) arrives here in the u.s that won't take weeks to arrive (laughs) the the two main groups i think about game music in is sort of uh, i would call them sort of memorable motifs Okay. Motif in music theory um, is sort of a recurring theme that represents a character or a situation or a moment. So think of, you know, Star Wars. Think of the Force theme, you know, uh, when we first meet Obi-Wan Kenobi, but also occurs throughout the story whenever there's some sort of, you know, intervention that's happening as a result of the Force. And so these motifs can represent characters as well. And I think that it does a lot of benefit for world building. And I think in terms of a favorite example comes from the Ace Attorney games. Okay. I know Rob's talked a little bit about Ace Attorney in terms of, you know, how wonderful of a series it is. But I think the music representing each character having these different situations that grows with the tension of the moment, I think it really fleshes out the story. Cool. That's, that's an interesting way to kind of break that down, memorable motifs. It's, it's definitely something that's that's also more characteristic of video games as well i think i think in terms of just having certain let's say actions that you're doing and just having those motifs be attached to those actions or what the environment is, is, is stronger than i feel sometimes in, in films at least um 
that's exactly that's exactly right and it's so much more than just the character themes mm. uh, you know in the mario games a lot of it's drafted up by the environment you're in okay. and I, you know you could say that for most nintendo games so uh, i think about the environment crafting that a song like brinstar's red soil area creates and not only does it add this chilling effect to where you are but it becomes this memorable you know sort of melody that kind of sticks with you as a really defining track from super metroid it's it's definitely got kind of this un, unsettling kind of weird tone to it and then just the the music arrangements I'm, I'm listening to it now in terms of like i can't quite pick up the instrument but just like these do 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 that kind of weird overlay on the unsettling tone if that makes sense definitely it almost feels like there's something lumbering towards you yeah uh, like yeah. you're being followed by something that's not even you know visible on the screen mm. yeah and then it kind of gives some breathing room for this melodic line that comes in you know somewhat 45 minutes into the piece yeah and then just that when you leave that area when you enter that area it's either a song that you're looking forward to hearing because you know it so well or it's a song that like could be very unsettling to you as you're playing so it's it's a fun example of that that's cool um is there any album that you would pick in terms of memorable motifs i think that uh, i mentioned the ace attorney franchise as a whole but i think the undertale game uh by toby fox really has a complete set of themes and ideas and musical moments that epitomize characters and situations just so well sort of a modern independently made uh, game that really just is the best of all parts and i think ace attorney kind of paved the way for the musical ideas that we hear in undertale so that's highly recommend that as an album hmm. i would actually pick something like celeste which i may have talked about previously on this podcast in terms of the feelings that you have in each level not only just the the actions of what you're doing in level to give a bit of background um celeste is this game where you're battling against your fears and your your mental health um regarding you know taking on this big challenge of climbing this mountain and throughout climbing the mountain you you go through specific areas and you you keep self-doubting yourself in, in specific areas where there might be more dangers more self-doubt or less self-doubt and more you know confidence and the soundtrack definitely reflects that and the actions that you're doing a lot more and so i'd say celeste is quite a good example of that if that makes sense no it it does i mean that a a celebrated soundtrack for sure Mm -hmm. in terms of indie music but also matching that that feeling that dread that celeste faces when she you know comes up against these big challenges throughout that game yeah absolutely cool that just to, to round it out, I know I mentioned two ideas. So the musical yeah. motifs was sort of the first part. And then the second way I think about games is about elevating the medium of games as a storytelling device. Um, I think that a lot of the video game music I listen to regularly comes from this kind of grouping of video game music. So I might have a very soft spot. F- spot. I might have a very soft spot for Ace Attorney and Undertale. Mm-hmm. But in terms of what really comes through to me as being beautiful or eye-opening is the albums that have, you know, that increased production value, that full orchestra, sort of your new Breath of the Wild or your new, um, you know, Skyrim or Halo music. What you would traditionally hear in perhaps a symphony or, you know, classical music-inspired type stuff. 
that really goes out there in terms of using the full range of instruments to to kind of describe the environment and elevate the kind of areas that you're in if that makes sense definitely and you know it's it's also ironically it's one of the things where you don't want to be accused of of listening to this kind of stuff to sound sophisticated but in a way game music and how it's dived into these full orchestras and these more complex ways of arranging music all of a sudden there are these cool orchestral ideas that you're getting if it's something for you see a lot of the modern final fantasy games or even kingdom Mm -hmm. hearts these very complex pieces to still convey simple ideas about you know whether it's good guy versus bad guy or if it's what is right and what is wrong or what is the gravity of the situation that you're in or purely for atmospherics uh you know certainly skyrim has that so what would you what would you what would you what would your best example of uh, an album with elevating the medium as as a kind of characteristic just just like um your your example of um, memorable motifs yeah definitely i i think i think skyrim is that example Mm -hmm. i think it's one where a lot of people uh, sort of came to elder scrolls for the first time and there had been you know large orchestras and and large major events in game music leading up to skyrim for sure but i think in terms of that complete immersion you get with it you feel like you're playing a game that's bigger than video games itself when you play skyrim the size of that world the interactions between factions in that world when you go into a new town and you hear you know a new music a new theme play um, when you're on that you know cart going to your execution and you hear awake for the first time you know all of a sudden this is a song that means more than just i'm a character starting a game here's my character selection screen it's so much bigger than that cool yeah it's it's definitely something especially well first example is just listening to that main theme dover king mm. uh, dragon ball sorry um and just listening to the big thumping celtic type music and then also the chants in it as well just it, it's that kind of big orchestral theme that you think of when you think of a big movie with a triple a budget and then just the also the, the beautiful kind of music when you're just exploring the environment the open world and just going through the scenery in the the mountains and, and stuff like that or or sitting down in you know a tavern or and just relaxing to the, the background music there there's definitely music that encompasses everything in terms of what a world is but also has the full orchestral score to to back that up and and make it bigger make that world feel bigger and more alive and more lived in Mm, definitely um it was the first video game soundtrack i actually went out and purchased uh it was sort of a collector's pack of five discs and it was signed by jeremy sewell oh nice Uh, it's the fifth disc in it is just skyrim atmospheres and it's 49 minutes of just ambient tonal chords being played Mm -hmm. you have nature coming in as well and so it's just this really cool thing to put on. Luckily, it's on Spotify as well. So if you guys want to sort of relax outside or go on a walk and you want to feel like you're yeah, walking in another Something world, meditative or if you're studying or something like that, it's just a yeah. great thing to put on in the background. Very much so. Yeah. yeah. Cool. So I think we should combine the next section, um, Luke. All right. Let's get on to um, our first main section of the podcast, which is about video game composers and thinking about you know just not just the composition of video games and and 
and looking to the inspiration behind those, those pieces of music and the characteristics but also how that's bled into our inspirations um, our kind of um, thoughts and interests and how that's just impacted you know our music tastes in general mm-hmm. so why don't we take the first topic um, at hand and, and talk about some of the your, our favorite video game composers um, do you have a favorite or a particular video game composer that you'd like to to, to talk about can't really say i have a favorite Mm. there are so many that kind of come in and out and that the sad thing about i think video game music and perhaps this is just my perspective is that that you you never have sort of the name recognition that you have with movie composers Mm. for example right everyone knows john williams and you know uh, james horner but there's yeah hans zimmer of course but there's very few video game composers that we've spent so much time with their music that we actually remember their names uh, those credits go by way too fast at the end of the game, or we just skip them very quickly. Or oh, it's only the very, fe- the most infamous video games that we hear composers of. Maybe Koji Kondo, infamously known mm-hmm. for you know, the classic Nintendo games and composition of those and, and yeah, stuff like absolutely. that. Absolutely. But again, yeah, that's I, that's not known by the wider public, if that makes sense. No, that's very true. And, and perhaps accessibility is an issue for that. Uh, a lot of these game soundtracks are not widely available, either on you know uh, music distribution sites or Spotify. Yeah. It's getting a little bit easier to track down video game soundtracks, but a lot of it is kind of relegated to people ripping the music and putting it on YouTube. Yeah. So it's, it's sort of a distribution issue as well in terms of publicity, but I'm sure there's lots of reasons behind that. And uh, Hopefully one day as... we'll, we'll get there in terms of just having this music freely available. Um, on just Definitely. popular platforms. Yeah. But in terms of, of one of my favorites, uh, I think Disaster Piece mm. uh, is a composer who has done music for both movies and games. But I think in terms of games, his sort of his big uh, magnum opus, we'll say, would probably be Fez. And yes. then Hyper Light Drifter are sort of his two big indie games that I think the music for was spectacular. There's There's almost an obscure digital vibe that you get from both the Fez and the Hyperlight Drifter games in terms of their soundtracks, both being inspired by, you know, both being indie games with a 2D-ish aesthetic, and maybe not mm. in, in the case of Fez with its weird um, weird um, transitions, but um, there's, there's definitely a, a, an aspect of that music that you don't get in traditional uh, music. It's, it's mm. much more relegated. It's much more it's it's something that you can only find in video video games, which is just something extra special about this this composer and 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 these soundtracks. Definitely, in, in both of these examples too, right? These are indie games uh, that are pixel art, but mm. there's a deeper story within both of them. So Hyperlight Drifter has this world that you're kind of, you know, way in the future of when you know this big event happened, and in Fez you're trying to navigate this new dimension quite literally the third dimension and you're just a 2d sprite in it and you realize that there's a lot of mystery and intrigue and i think disaster piece does a really good job of having music that's thought-provoking alongside everything that's visually occurring as well yeah there's a couple pieces uh in particular i i love from fez and that's beacon and also a piece called knowledge uh, highly recommend these tracks to to listen to. They are on Spotify. They are obviously online. But uh, B- 
beacon for just its calming environmental view. It's sort of one of the first areas you go to in the game. Very, very peaceful, very soothing, but also kind of longing for something additional. So you kind of start wondering, okay, like what else is here? It's kind of making me nostalgic for Mm. something that I might not have even experienced. Yeah, it's almost hearkening. It's using your your nostalgia for, you know, your 2D platformers or, or games on the SNES or Genesis. Mm. And then using the the instruments and the kind of sound elements of those games, as indie games do, in the same way that the visual artists have, lifting that and then just turning that and and updating those those themes to not just play on your nostalgia, but also enhance the environments and and the aesthetic that the game is going for. Um, no, absolutely, I completely agree with that, and and. And that second piece there, knowledge, I put in because it's it's something that I haven't heard in much of the music, and it's a very clever thing that he does with the the song, is that it's an example of multiple parts of the music, multiple instruments in that song that Chiptune is making, mm. having polymeter, which are two different types of time signatures and meters or rhythms going on between each of the voice parts. And all of a sudden, if you try and count along rhythmically to this piece Mm -hmm. you find out that things start to disassociate things start to not line up and all of a sudden you're realizing that's because each of them are independent and it's Ah. ironic that the piece is called knowledge and it plays while you're in sort of this this library uh, with a telescope there but it is a really cool piece to listen to very closely and you realize it's much deeper than just what you're listening to the first time i do like the parallel as you you, you've just pointed out in terms of being in a library that you know finding out that these pieces are independent rhythmically and Mm. also just having the the more complex piece that that's that's a really interesting pick cool Mm. highly recommend cool how about you Amal? i'm I'm very curious to hear about sort of some composers and and pieces that you've really uh, you know come to love over these years yeah so one of my favorites is um the mgs series and one of the composers who do who works on the mgs series is harry gregson williams there's a few composers that kind of have worked on the series harry has worked on mgs 2 for most of that soundtrack mgs 3 part of it and mgs 4 mgs 1 was mostly done by another composer and a few other compo- recurring composers also contributed to three and four so it's kind of a blend there but um i I think really just and this is maybe we're taking a step back from the more kind of um delicate intricate kind of music here but i'm with the mgs series you're you're we're definitely talking about music that's elevating the medium and talking about Mm. action movie style soundtracks that really give the the vibe or the mood mood of being in a in an action movie or, or thriller and i think harry gregson just d- does a, a great job of that just in in the theme of mgs2 um just outlining kind of the stakes of what's happening or what's occurring in that first cutscene, seeing you know the movements that snake is making in mgs2 in in that first cutscene kind of flowing well with the the bombastic soundtrack but also the 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 low points in terms of him sneaking around and i just love that kind of that b movie tier kind of action movie um music being played into a video game and just making the video game feel more like an action movie not quite like a movie because there are differences but just 
blending those those types of media you know more together sure, is just something sure. that the mgs series and and harry does does really well um no, so it's, it's an it's an interesting interesting soundtrack it makes a lot of sense too when you when you talk about it. I have actually known uh, this composer, Harry Gregson Williams, from his movie work actually. Mm. And so here's a, someone who's worked a lot in the film industry and has applied his knowledge to games in that respect, or perhaps vice versa. I'm not even quite sure of his his full history, but I know he did the music for The Martian, uh, you know, starring everyone's favorite Matt Damon. Yeah, and uh, it's incorporating that action movie feel into metal gear solid right it seems like such a natural pair with sort of the eccentric storytelling that uh you know everybody loves kojima for making yeah yeah um i think just talking about the the mgs series in a bit more general just picking up the the themes of blending the media the film and the Mm -hmm. video game genres together not not composed by Harry Gregson, but um, mm-hmm. Snake Eater obviously is one of the other famous examples, harkening back to Bond-style spy thriller films. Again, just just the composers in this series really just trying to tie together the video game themes and and also you know whatever the the counter parallel is in 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 the film uh, film medium. So yeah, uh, it's definitely one of my one of the ones that I I enjoy and. Uh, one of the most interesting inspirations in, in terms of uh, some composers that I can think of. Um, so why don't we go on to talking about how different genres of video game music is explored across video games. We've talked about you know how the composers have been inspired and, and how their influences influenced how you know these video games sound but let's talk about how those genres co- come together um do you have a a particular song or a game that explores different types of genres in in, in one single game or very eccentric types of genres i love this question uh, i i really do because it, it's it makes me think right mm. what type of music have i listen to and perhaps even come to enjoy and listen to outside of gaming that comes specifically because of gaming i think about that with not only just music but also like what words and phrases from games do i just know the meaning of that you know i wouldn't have read from a book or watched from a show or or learned in school Uh, for me i think fallout 3 is a great example of that Um, this is when this came out uh, still in uh, you know middle school at the time sort of trying to identify what my musical tastes are and everybody goes through different phases of genres of music they're into and all of a sudden you've got this game that takes place in the post-apocalypse post-nuclear war and the music is kind of locked in this era of pre-war 1930s through 40s big band jazz music and swing and all of a sudden i'm this modern modern student growing up and i'm hearing this whole new context for big band music outside of you know a themed party or some other experience that i might have had and all of a sudden i'm connecting with these artists who are massively important when you think about the history of jazz Mm. Uh, music is a huge passion of mine and you know i from performance arts from musical theater to singing in a chorus these days you know i really love sort of looking at this type of history and two artists from fallout 3 that i'm exposed to now are the ink spots and billy holiday and these are both 
hugely successful groups that kind of all of a sudden became a relevant name in music for me when I was growing up maybe, having played uh, maybe Fallout 3. Maybe a lot 3. of people, uh, especially given sure. that they probably haven't heard of this music, um, given you know the distance between um, their releases and, 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 and today. Absolutely. Cool. Um, I've got an example. Um, it's mm-hmm. it's it's Streets of Rage two in terms of the to- and again I'm I'm talking about a game that I've discussed <laughs> on on last yeah. podcast. But it's it's an interesting example because it's one of the examples where the composer has blended about twelve types of electronic pieces of music and somehow produced amazing sounding music out of you know the limitations of the genesis back in the day where streets of rage and streets of rage 2 and 3 were originally released mm. really kind of harkening on you know just traditional chip tune sound um, genres that you know most games were using but also using traditional electro house very bassy dirty type beats being integrated in into the music that you wouldn't you would otherwise hear kind of a dance a dance you know club or or something like that and just really integrating all of those genres together and then producing that into you know an an interesting and provocative soundtrack is just very creative to me and just was very ahead of its time even though i even though I don't have the context of, you know, playing it back in the ni- early 1990s. Um, it's just a very interesting and very different sounding soundtrack to, to anything that I've ever heard in, in a video game. Sure. It's it's kind of this idea, I guess. It's with fighting game music, I always think is very interesting because mm. the way you're describing Streets of Rage 2, it's all of a sudden the music becomes an enjoyable part of the experience, right? Yep. Well, I mean, we're talking about, you know, two you know one-on-one you know armed combat or not armed combat right and and you're just trying to all of a sudden turn it into a very pleasurable and fun experience and turning this genre of game into something that's fun and makes you want to keep doing it and maybe this is the genre that's best at doing that i'm not sure but it's a really interesting thought yeah yeah i it definitely emphasizes or at least for Streets of Rage, the kind of dirty back alley, you know, fighting mm. that goes on, fist of cuffs, all that type of stuff, and and kind of the the vibe that you get in, you know, eighties movies of you know people beating each other in back alleys and yes. gangs and all this type of stuff, and it, it definitely harkens to that kind of vibe. Um, yeah, yeah, it's 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 an interesting one. Is there anything else that you would like to mention before we we move on? I think that covers off on sort of the the biggest genres I think I was exposed to. I mean, there's a ton that I think all of us can probably say if we just kind of dig deep enough and reflect. I mean, additionally, talking about jazz, I mean, Mm -hmm. acid jazz and and different J-pop music that, you know, I learned from the Persona games. But there's a whole lot out there that I don't think we associate with the true genre it's from. But we just know as, oh, that's video game music or, oh, I've heard that kind of thing in a video game before that's not where it started i doubt that the genre was created by the game and so if we just dig a little deeper i'm sure we can actually reveal a lot of things from from what we listen to have a look at wikipedia pages or just dive a bit deeper into you know the composers of those games or the inspirations and you might might find a lot behind that behind that history i love that cool yeah so now we, we we talked about how you know these genres have blended and how you know we've we've experienced different genres that we've never really um never really associated um being genres in in video games but 
now let's talk about how those those genres that we found throughout playing video games have impacted our new more normal um, or regular music um, tastes and, and consumption. Is there anything that you've you know ex- you know taken away from games and thought, oh, that's a really cool sounding soundtrack. I'm going to you know explore this genre a bit more or this type of music. It's, it's sort of something that has come with time i think as i feel very similarly about certain film music as well Mm -hmm. where for me i listen to a lot of this music pretty unironically on a regular basis and so uh, the one thing that i I think about when i think of this question is uh, a playlist that i've put together on spotify where it's able to kind of put me in a certain mental state right and some sort of peaceful calming recollection of where was I when I was playing this game when I was at this part of that game and this song was playing or perhaps something even broader where it's like what are the thematic ideas that this music conveys to me from video game music that kind of puts me at this zen state Mm -hmm. and so it's kind of a very personal thing for me to to kind of still listen to a lot of these pieces that can kind of change the way I'm feeling in any given situation so it's kind of like comfort food for me yeah but also something that can make me very introspective and think about, you know, different different things going on. Yeah, it's it's interesting that it kind of puts you into a di- certain types of of the of, of music are now enhancing the types of moods that you can just be set into. Whether it's just mm. putting it back in and relaxing to music to study, or to purposely do a task, um, or just to you know relax and wind down in a day it's it's interesting how that's just been an an extra addition into the types of music we consume for other types of feelings whether that's love or you know sadness or that kind of stuff video games have also just seeped into that as well and and enhanced the types of the the scope of music that we also play in term to to tap into those you know certain types of emotions that we feel um, yeah I, i certainly agree with that Emil, I'm curious about you as well. Uh, <laughs> anything perhaps more tangible than just, you know, it puts me in a mood. Um, I'm, I'm curious about you as well, right? I mean, yeah. what have what have game music kind of done to influence you in, into certain genres or other types of music? I would definitely say that after listening to a lot of chip tune kind of style music from, from indie games, that especially when, when indie games started revitalizing, you know, the types of gameplay that we saw back on, you know, the the older consoles 16-bit 8-bit arcade mm-hmm. uh, and the music also going hand in hand with that um i started definitely listening to music and this was more in my late teenage early university years to more electronic more synth pop more kind of house and indie pop style uh, music that kind of blended all those genres and definitely took a took an inspiration in terms of not an inspiration but definitely takes heavy use of you know synthesizers and electronic and, and stuff like that so particular music that I, I i particularly remember discovering on an indie indie music site i think it's still around indieshuffle.com i'm very big into indie music by the way i'm, I'm not really a mainstream music guy and that's not just out of detest out of mainstream <laughs> music it's just i find much more interesting and diverse music across indie artists um, just because it's it's not palatable for the mass audience, really. And that's what makes indie music indie. Um, one of those pieces of music that I just remember discovering and thinking, this is just so obscure and odd sounding, is, is a song called um, Holiday by Deja. Very small band. 
And there's there's kind of almost a surf pop, Australian pop vibe to it, with also these weird kinds of wavy popping sounds in 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 inside mm. song, which is something that just reminded me and and of how video games treat music in terms of these very obscure sounds sometimes they have to be recorded because they're part of the audio design and that's just part of video game creation or sometimes it's just the abstract nature of the game and how you know music is created for those types of games but just listening to those types of music and discovering that you can find that type of music within you know just normal music um online it was just fascinating to me and that just carried on in terms of that leakage into just more traditional types of music such as post dubstep so not just your traditional dubstep that you might have heard back in the uh late noughties or early you know tens i can't believe i'm saying mm-hmm. noughties mm-hmm. and tens at this point wow <laughs> um or or, or electronica and, and fusing those together stuff like subtract um totally extinct um, enormous dinosaurs very kind of hits into those types of vibes and using those different types of sounds to to elevate their music um are definitely artists there are definitely artists that i i discovered after the fact that really pushed me into into that kind of genre so yeah it's it's very much the electronic but also alternative use of electronic instruments and and really tapping into that that weird obscure sounds that you can you can really get out of that type of genre Sure. I, I almost liken it to, it, it's a familiar sort of, uh, you know, we could say sound font, but mm. it's a familiar type of sound and you're hearing it in new ways from these artists yeah. who are passionate about the art form for sure. So I can totally see the indie appeal. Cool. Um, that's That's been really interesting just talking about, you know, just, you know, the source of all the, the video game music from composers and then going into our inspirations and how in turn that's inspired our music tastes mm. it's been great conversation so yeah. before we get on to the next te- section we'll be taking a break but we'll be discussing maybe taking on you know that composer angle at a different uh, different point of view and discussing video game concerts and, and luke's link to video game concerts and then maybe also constructing our ideal video game concert so stay tuned for that part two Luke, Luke, I've bought yes, my drums. Emil. I thought we were composing a video game concert. Where's your instruments? Amo, I'm pretty sure that was the space bar. <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't know if that was a drum set I was just listening to. I, I was banging my uh, table here, my desk, but I could also bang my can here. See? Different sounds, right? Welcome to the ASMR version of One Hit KO. KO. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Should be a side, uh, side, side gig we do. Anyway, we're going to talk about in this section our experiences of video game concerts and what we would do if we could, you know, compose our imaginary video game concert and just our picks for, you know, songs in it. So before we get on to, you know, structuring uh, our imaginary video game concert, let's talk about our experiences with video game concerts. And I think Luke here has got some pretty interesting things to say about this, haven't you, Luke? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, so I'll, I'll quickly just open with some concerts we've been to. Uh, I think both of us are lucky and, and 
have been able to see sort of a live performance mm. of songs from games. Uh, these concerts are super rare and only, you know, it's, it's very exciting to go to one of these because it's, you know, like any concert, you're hearing music you're familiar with, you're appreciating the new form that people are bringing to it. So in terms of what I've been to, uh, I was at a con that takes place every year in Washington, D.C. It's called Otakon. It celebrates sort of uh, Japanese culture mm-hmm. and gaming and, and anime. And they had put on a Distant Worlds concert. And this is a concert series that has a lot of albums online you can listen to. But it goes through a symphonic arrangement of various Final Fantasy tracks. And it was very cool to see it in 2018 at this con. And it turned out that Nobuo Uematsu was actually in the audience. amazing. Yeah, and so a lot of people in the audience, standing right? ovation. Yes, oh, wow. yeah. <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> I mean, he's uh, you know just put on some shades, him, put on like a undercover hat, and then just I, I assume at the announcement, jump up, and everyone's just applauding for him. That was uh, pretty much authentic to what happened. <laughs> he kind of stood up from the audience, and as he was applauding the the orchestra itself. Mm. Once people saw that he was standing up, and he was, I'm pretty sure he was in a Hawaiian t-shirt and sunglasses oh, like you're describing. People were just absolutely giving him praise, mm. and you know, rightfully so in that venue. Uh, he was among big fans, for sure. Are you a big fan of the Final Fantasy series, just briefly? You know, I came into it at a weird spot. Mm. I actually started with 13-2, oh. uh, which I really enjoyed, uh, and have <laughs> tried to go back and kind of play some of the older ones, mm. but... Uh, it's not the I, most I've... highly rated... Uh, few games yeah, that's, let's say the 13 series the most that's uh... a yeah that's an understatement <laughs> i'd say it's uh quite flamed by the internet but i definitely uh i have an appreciation for the music and the yep. classic music and melodies are are truly gorgeous so very lucky to go to that one cool the, how, yeah how about you Emma? yeah so i've I haven't been to too many um different types of concerts the only two concerts i've been to uh video game concerts are both zelda themed uh, no secret i'm a big zelda fan um the first one was um symphonic legends at the barbican i think this was back in 2014 and it there, there was it was basically a rearrangement of zelda themes played a bit more classically and there was a bit more liberty taken with you know how they they played that music it was beautiful it was amazing it was my first experience listening to live video game music everyone was super quiet super you know, considerate to to the composers, and I'll get to why I I just said that in a bit. And it was just a beautiful arrangement of Zelda music that I just haven't heard arranged like that. Unfortunately, mm. they didn't record this particular symphony, which I just really regret. In terms of, I would have loved to just you know li- re-listen to this um, on a CD or on YouTube, but unfortunately, there's no no recording available. And then the second mm. one was another Zelda one, celebrating, I think it was post its 25th anniversary with Skyward Sword. Um, so it was like 2015, maybe, in between Skyward Sword and Breath of the Wild as the big tentpole Zelda games. Um, I enjoyed the music here. Uh, I listened to a lot of it on, on the CDs, um, a few new arrangements. The problem was, was that the audience were very loud throughout one of the mm. stage producers came on stage and said, at the very start and the outset, you can make as much noise and stamping and clapping as you want throughout the, you know, the concert. And it just seemed <laughs> a very modern concert very, to go to. Very strange to me in terms of, I'm coming here to to enjoy this beautiful music that I have strong feelings for, 
And then just every two minutes, because they had a big screen with the video games being played, with, mm. you know, big set pieces in Zelda being played on, on screen, you would see Wind Waker come up, a Wind Waker scene or a famous boss scene. And people would just erupt and stamp the ground and clap. And I was just thinking, this isn't a great experience. Um, it, mm. it just wasn't great. And it, it just put me off slightly off, you know, visiting future video game concerts. Sure. Um, oh, that's an interesting line to walk, right? Because it's a very much a, a sort of creative choice that mm. they're making by inviting that kind of participation. Yeah. Uh, I've seen it before in sort of live movie concerts. Uh, saw a screening of Star Wars and, yeah. you know, same idea. The The conductor came out, said, hey, you know, when, when your favorite characters come on screen, go ahead and like applaud. We're applauding too as we play. So uh, definitely encourage it's, it. It's very- All of a sudden you're... I guess everyone knows the Star Wars music yeah. as it's along with the movie. So when, you know, C-3PO shows up, of course, people are going to scream. Uh, but for arrangements of Zelda music that you've never heard before and that's really uh, unique, yep. yeah, I could see that kind of being a distraction. I'd probably sc- scream in horror if I saw CP3. I'm not, uh, not a big fan of him. <laughs> How can you say that's Anthony Daniels? Uh, not, oh. not, uh, not my favorite character. <laughs> I mean, it's not, okay, it's, okay. Um, um, uh, there's a bit of dislike coming here. It's, I don't oh, boy. hate CP3, but, you know, he's a bit bit of an oddball. Um, he's he's welcome entertainment, I guess, in, in the Star Wars universe. That is the most modest compliment you can give. <laughs> A welcome entertainment. I love it. <laughs> cool. So, so Luke, you've got a few more interesting links with the video game concert. Um, yes. Yeah. Um, why don't you talk about that for a bit? Absolutely. Um, so a really exciting opportunity occurred for me uh, sort of at the start of this year in January. Uh, about a year and a half ago, I joined the Washington Chorus. It is a large chorus of about 150 uh, volunteer singers. Um, you audition to get in, and we perform across different venues in D.C., but uh, most often at the Kennedy Center and sometimes along the National Symphony Orchestra. So a really wonderful way of kind of pursuing music and singing, um, which I did growing up through school, but also you know still have a passion for mm-hmm. it. So it's a great outlet for that, and very thankful to be involved with the group. And we had an opportunity to perform alongside the NSO Pops Symphony uh, and perform in a video game concert called Game On at the Kennedy Center. And this was sort of a select group of about uh, 30 singers Mm -hmm. to kind of round out some of the vocal parts that this set list called for. Would these, would so, these vocal parts be just... You think of vocal parts sometimes in video game music as just very much a choir, say, elongating, you know, syllables and stuff like that. Were there, def- were there lyrics as well in some of these yeah, parts? No, that's a that's a great point. And I, I think back to your, your reference of uh, Dragonborn when you talked about Skyrim mm-hmm. earlier, right? Uh, a lot of it is chanting. And some of the stuff we did was chanting. Some of it was high-pitched yells. <laughs> some of it was shouting, hey, at specific times. Uh, but we did also have a couple pieces that uh, were fully lyriced. Um, you know, uh, we sang a piece from Destiny 2 mm-hmm. called Journey, and that is completely written uh, for a string quartet blossoming into an orchestra and then going on to have singing in Latin for that piece. So we had a piece in Latin. Uh, we were also going to sing some chanties from Assassin's Creed 4 Black oh, Flag. Cool. So <laughs> a wonderful rehearsal note is to sing with your best Irish or Scottish <laughs> accent. And I'm sure they're completely, uh, you know, 
distinct for you, but for us, we kind of had our own weird stereotypes. Jar- to draw kind of mess uh, of a, a Celtic Absolutely. kind of Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, so I figured I'd, I'd kind of share my experience in singing in that concert. Uh, it was really exciting in that we were singing alongside the, the NSO Pops, and they're obviously all very professional players. Yeah. And so we ended up having uh, one rehearsal uh, on our own as a choir, and then we had three rehearsals over the course of two days uh, to rehearse with the orchestra before this concert. Did that feel like and enough rehearsals? Because that seems quite, in my opinion, from a layman's perspective, especially from someone who hasn't really practiced singing or, or stuff like that, it, I, I don't think you'd ever want to hear me sing. Uh, I've got a terrible voice. So. <laughs> um, but was that enough time to practice and get into your parts? Um, how how did that work? I'm, so in in the full honesty, I think the answer for the chorus was no. We probably could have used a little bit more advanced uh, rehearsals. And there's a couple reasons behind this. Um, certainly it only called for a more select group, and a lot of it had to be done independently rehearsed leading up to our rehearsals. Yeah. And that's totally fine uh, for us, right? We're a volunteer chorus. Um, so the key thing here is that it's plenty of time for the NSO. And so there was a bit of a disjoint in sort of me singing alongside my choir mates. Uh, their knowledge of these games is very limited, right? Many of them are much older than I am, uh, not too ingrained in video game culture. And that's totally fine, of course. Um, but the score that we were sent out only had the singing sections. And so with the music being kind of hard to find exactly what lines mm-hmm. up, since these are all original arrangements of these pieces, became very difficult to track down what exactly was going to be playing in the orchestra yeah. before we started singing. So all of a sudden, imagine uh, imagine someone who's never heard of The Witcher, and then all of a sudden we have to come in shout, like shouting a bunch of uh, screams in the middle of, of uh, uh, Steel and Fury. So all of a sudden, these are different songs that we have no experience doing. The choir ended up sounding quite good during the concert if i may say so we we pulled it together during those two rehearsals uh but that's not to say that we didn't end up cutting a few of the songs before the concert not because of the choir's ability but actually because of the timing of the concert how long was it originally supposed to be so it was originally supposed to be i think around an hour and 45 minutes to two hours fairly typical yeah yeah definitely i think what ended up happening was uh the way that the concert was based and spaced out, it ended up being about two hours and 10 minutes of actual start to finish. And there's a couple reasons for that. For one, there were a lot of different pieces and some of it required brief changes in setup for the orchestra itself. Some mm-hmm. of the uh, scores required different instrumentation. And would, but and also, would sorry mm-hmm. to, to come in on that point, yeah, would yeah. there be a lot of changeover between the songs in terms of those instruments or would the instruments be ready on hand for the composers to and the music players to just you know switch on let's say we need a trumpet and this weird flute instrument um wind instrument um let's 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 flip between these two we'll just have it under my seat or something like that sure no that's a that's a really good question uh the way that it was structured was that all the instruments were on stage at one point mm. but between different uh, game music, you would have the percussionists switching which percussion instruments there were. Mm-hmm. 
And so all of a sudden you'd have these uh, rhythm sections that were suddenly switching which instruments they needed for each piece. So there was a little bit of transition there. That's interesting. In terms of, mm-hmm. in terms of what happened during each piece is they would have a full screen similar to like you described with the Zelda concert and there would be game footage, concept art, uh, trailers from E3 uh, sort of playing alongside us with the music. We had cameras set up on different points of the stage. So capturing the different solo performers uh, as we sang, which was really an incredible experience. It must have been great seeing, I don't know if you could see yourself from the screen, but um, presuming there were close-up shots of of the, the choir as well as they chanted away um yeah a few a few shots uh throughout the concert which was really cool uh during the rehearsals we kind of all looked over our shoulder to see what game footage was playing on the screen <laughs> behind us because during the concert obviously we were had to look forward the whole yeah. time so it was uh, a lot of fun to to be there and the audience was very very much uh, engaged right a lot of this was big fans yeah. and, and dc somehow you know the, the the nerds come out of the woodwork for these types of <laughs> concerts if you will so it was really nice to be in a very happy environment nobody was falling asleep during that, this that's, concert, that's good that's to hear. Sure. um was did anyone approach you in terms of you know getting an, a bit more insight in terms of talking to you or signing autographs or you know no nothing in terms of that uh the Still at the start of your career, that'll come in maybe six months down the line once you've done a few more Yeah, exactly. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, hopefully, right? Uh, You know, this wasn't my big break or any sense (laughs) like that. But I actually was, I believe, the only person in the choir who actually went up to the conductor of the concert. His name is Andy Brick. And he's done the scoring sessions for a couple of the Civilization games on PC. He's gone around the world hosting these types of video game concerts. So I think video game live or play are some that he's he's uh helped arrange for and so i went up to him with a tiny little uh playstation controller uh little nightlight it's like 15 (laughs) dollars at the local GameStop that i picked up earlier that day and i had him sign it with a marker that's sort of a little trophy for me uh so i think i was the only one getting autographs from other people (laughs) that day uh but uh it's a memory that i fondly cherish that's 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 really cool uh it's Mm -hmm. it's really cool just to hear kind of the how video game concerts are set up and you know just just hearing a bit more about you know the 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 creation of those and and the the process of you know setting it up and then you know actually playing in them so that, that's that's really cool luke that's that's a really cool perspective um it, it was really illuminating for me too like just as you say like it answers questions for me so the big question on my mind was this andy brick guy yeah. uh, excuse me maestro brick <laughs> of course uh, is he a gamer like yeah. as he is conducting us as the orchestra is playing flawlessly as the chorus is you know singing along with these parts are is is our maestro is he a gamer is he ingrained in the culture i mentioned that he did have experience in the industry yeah. for sure that doesn't necessarily so it, mean he is a video game player though so that's that's quite an interesting thing is he in very, was he enjoying yeah. that the music just f- as good music on its own or was he enjoying it <laughs> sure as you know his perspective of being a potentially you know someone who plays video games and consumes a lot of this media yeah definitely and i think the there's a there's sort of a culture in in orchestral sort of in the industry mm. for for classical music and a lot of it is these conductors will sort of specialize in a certain type of music and so 
Well, he has ties to the industry in terms of arranging, composing, scoring sessions for games. Um, if he specializes in this type of music, then he's more sought after to do these types of concerts yeah. around the world. So he knew certainly some of the music uh, deeply, uh, but others he knew were sort of big in the day. He knew he wanted to get to the sort of the encore piece, which was the situation critical song from the game Overwatch. Mm-hmm. You know, a very big game, you know, at the time earlier this year. And so he knew that some of these pieces were were newly added to this orchestra set list. So it was interesting to hear sort of things he he definitely knew and and some pieces that he didn't, but was aware of of the significance. Definitely. Yeah. Yep. There was only one thing he said during the rehearsals that uh, sort of confused me. (laughs) Uh, You know, as he was describing, we sang pieces from a variety of different uh, games. And uh, World of Warcraft was one of them. And the big main theme, right, uh, Battle for Azeroth. Mm-hmm. As we're singing it, you know, as we get to the big point, he was trying to get more more out of the orchestra and the choir, yeah. right, at this big hit. You know, the, think about it in Hearthstone when you play one of your legendary minions, you hear, And it's this amazing experience when you get to that point in the music. And then all of a sudden... He says, yeah, and the 12-year-olds in the audience are going to go crazy for that. And in my head, I'm like, this is World of Warcraft. Dude, the 30-year-olds are going to go crazy for this in the audience. Like, this is not a 12-year-old now is playing World of Warcraft. This is people who were maybe 12, 10 years ago. And so all of a sudden, I'm like, ah, like, does he think that's the target audience? Because I think there's way more reach for this music Mm. from these older games that we're singing uh, than what even he might have appreciated. Now, certainly, I'm not calling into question his expertise at all, but uh, it was just one of those dissonant things when he said that. Mm. So maybe the older people in the choir got his joke, and, <laughs> and maybe I'm just the young, disturbed, you know, uh, you know, uh, millennial in the uh, in the group. But no. now, Very now fun. you have to deal with the Gen Zers, Luke. So they'll be they'll ah, be looking yeah, at your right. disdain uh, now. Are they Zoomers or am I a Zoomer? They're the no, Zoomers. they're the Zoomers. I mean, oh, Good. It's, a, it's a bit of an odd one, isn't it? I mean, we're in an we're at the age bracket where it's kind of the blurred line between millennials and and, and Gen yeah, Zers, so we bit. could kind of fit in the Zoomers. Uh, I don't want to. be I a Zoomer. really do want to be a Zoomer. <laughs> I really what? I love TikTok. Well, I don't love it, but you know. Oh. I like it. Um, oh, I just want to be a cool kid. You know, hang out with the. Uh, definitely right. We're just. Uh, Slaves for the you know, likes. We're trying to get those clicks. Gonna say some slang like, "Cool, I want to come round the block and have a party." Yo, my my favorite, <laughs> yeah, my my favorite new hip young terminology I'm learning is uh slaps. So that slaps or that does not slap. Wait, that's not slaps the game, but sla- I've never heard of slaps the game. What is that? Oh, so is that it's when thing? you've got your two hands together, you've got another person opposite you, and you're trying to outwit yourself. <laughs> Um, to slap the other person in the face. It's a good okay. drunk game, but um... oh yeah, that sounds like a drunk game. I, no, I've never seen that done, and no, I don't think that's the root of the slang. <laughs> slaps. That slaps. That's going to be a new uh, piece of slang we're going to be using on this podcast to oh to reach those Gen Zers. Yes, definitely. This episode slaps. Episode slaps. We've got it. We've got the title. <laughs> cool. Oh no! All right. Before before this lo- episode gets a bit too long, and we have a few people yes. complaining about the length, um, let's yeah. get on to how we would structure a video game concert if we were a composer or creator of a concert. 
what would what would we put into a video concert what would we think of as the let's say top 10 pieces of music that everybody whether it's a general audience less aware of gaming more casual or more hardcore um what would be a good playlist to encompass all of gaming um luke mm. let's 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 talk about maybe some of the songs that we've selected and maybe hit on or or speak in more detail about one or two pieces that you've chosen absolutely uh so i'm excited to to sort of usher in with an echoing tone to has you led into me by saying that uh We've put together a Spotify playlist to help sort of uh, introduce some of our favorite mm-hmm. pieces as well as kind of have as a as a main talking point and reference for this episode. So in terms of how I would arrange a concert, what I thought was interesting about the Game On concert that I was in was that it mostly focused on Western music, Western composed, Western developed music. Mm-hmm. And so I think that a video game concert that is fully celebrating the medium should have music from both Japan as well as music from across the globe. So I do love the idea that, you know, the Polish heritage of the Witcher music and the work that's being done in the U.S. from studios like Bethesda Mm -hmm. and certainly the history that we have from Japan, from all the JRPGs that we know and love. I think it needs to have an incorporation of all these different celebration of all cultures. Absolutely. And and not even as uh, a way of having diversity for diversity's sake, but I think that the gamer knows that there's importance from all these different types of genres yep. and from these types of, of uh, musical moments that we've talked about earlier, thinking about those musical motifs or memorable motifs. They also harken but, to different genres. You'd, you'd hear from a japanese soundtrack you're typically like you said going to hear more jrpg soundtracks or platformers from the history of nintendo and sega and all that kind of stuff whereas the western stuff might be more shooter you know um inspired or you know more action inspired not in all cases i'm just making a bit of a generalization there but you know you get those broad categories of of what the history of gaming has has pertained to those particular regions yeah, definitely. And I, even even the instrumentation, right? We have, you know, sort of our, our amazing mm. horn section. Think of the music from Destiny or Halo from the U.S. And you could, it has this distinct almost uh, John Williams or American feel to it. And then you have some of the incredible, you know, string playing and different scales that are being used uh, from, from different cultures in Asia. And yeah. so... Know, music from a game like Monster Hunter or Total War or Three Kingdoms, right, might have a totally different sound profile than that of the U.S. or from other Western developed uh, studios. Yep. So why don't we, we get on to the playlist um, and talk about a few inclusions that you've made? Yeah, definitely. And then I'm, I'm definitely curious to hear from yours as well. Uh, in terms of what I've included, uh, I've kind of rounded out this playlist is both a mix of of pieces that I find particularly special for me but also would do well in a concert setting Um, I would likely uh, I wanted to include a piece from Monster Hunter I mentioned that as being one of my my top games of all time I think it really builds this storytelling of this heroic quest and I know the epic quest is almost a trope at this point in in all forms of storytelling media but uh, there's something just so 
booming where they can mix something so dramatic but harrowing at the same time like you the know trumpets it's, at the start that i'm listening to now just the yeah, absolutely music and it's in. yeah and it, it builds up to this big climax and theme that has actually been around since the original monster hunter game that came out for playstation mm-hmm. 2 so this nice rearrangement for Monster Hunter World is is something I felt was worth including, and it, it definitely hits uh, the the different regions that you were talking about in terms of this is this is definitely an Eastern Japanese game that we're that we're hitting on in terms of you know getting the the broad diversity that we want in a in a concert. Definitely, it's almost done in a Western style too, so you can kind of hear the yeah. the relevance of all culture even in Monster Hunter, which is really really cool. Cool. Uh, uh, yeah, should we absolutely. should we go one by one in terms of my choice, your choice, my choice? It might might flow. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. Okay, so I've definitely thought about. I was, I was thinking about creating a video game music, and firstly, I was thinking about these. These are the pieces of music that you need to listen to if if you're a a new person to gaming, and this is the best music that it can offer. Or music from the most infamous examples of gaming, or the best entry points into gaming. And then I was starting to think, I was starting to think, oh, actually, I want to put, you know, some of my own favorite game music uh, into it. But I found a lot of those pieces of music that I was trying to put in were very much going back to your framework that you were using, memorable motifs. And I don't think they Mm. work quite as well in a video game concert. I'm very much the person who, unless it's in an ensemble of, let's say, a 10 minute ensemble of different types of music that that's flowed and connected together i think particular pieces let's say three minute four minute five minute piece really needs to be something that is it fits into the bucket of elevating the medium that really has a beginning middle and end a structure a build-up something that really shows what what video game music is to um a a generalist crowd if that makes sense um so i tried to hit from that perspective and also the diversity perspective of you know not just the history of gaming but also western eastern influences and all that kind of stuff so one of the pieces of music that probably best demonstrates elevating the medium and it's not elevating the medium to make it more like a movie but really just using the orchestra and the chorus is child of light metal gleamed in the light um there's a choir and non-choir version so this piece of music um plays within the boss um, parts of the game so whenever you you enter a boss fight this this game's an rpg for back for a bit of background it's a ub art framework game with a beautiful 2d art style that's all hand-drawn beautiful game i'd, I'd highly recommend you look it out uh, look up uh, look it up and it really relies on a very classically uh, composed soundtrack and this song just really brings in the, the choir the build-up of something really big that's entering the scene that you're about to battle the build-up of the song that really just enhances that and then the choir in the background really elevating like the middle part of the theme whilst you're really in the depths of the battle and just the beauty of the instruments that i used is it just makes and enhances the game but also can be just listened to on its own and just thought of as a really well crafted classical type of type of music um it's just it's just one of those pieces of music that i think if you were to listen to it on on the radio or something, you'd anybody could probably enjoy it um, from all backgrounds and ages. So it's it's definitely one of those that really reaches to the mass audience. I think. Yeah, I, 
sounds awesome. And, and how appropriate to what you mentioned about these types of concert settings makes more sense to have that second part of the framework, mm -hmm. right? The elevating the medium. Uh, memorable motifs makes perfect sense in terms of what our favorite moments were, but they are memories individual to the player. Yeah. So you want to have this kind of wider appeal. And it sounds like uh, Child of Light really kind of demonstrates how that can come through during this it piece. I love it. Does. Um, what's your second cho choice, Luke? So the second choice, and then I'll briefly mention my, th my third and final choice, and then we can pivot back to you as well. But uh, in terms of the concert setting, one thing I loved from the Game On concert was there was an opportunity for a solo pianist to have a really lovely moment during this Bioshock medley. And so for me, I would choose uh, sort of the main theme from Final Fantasy XIII 2. Ironic that we're coming full circle back to Final Fantasy uh, <laughs> that I mentioned earlier, but uh, it's, it's titled Wishes, and it's just this lovely, simple melody um, for the main theme, and it kind of introduces uh, a motif for the main character and sort of the, the questions that are raised between sort of the two female protagonists in the game. But it is just a beautiful opportunity to showcase how something so beautifully written for single instrument can be played and and performed in a live concert setting so i've chosen that it's very gentle last... it's very airy i'm listening yeah it's just mm. very mel melodic it's it's great i like it yeah no and uh, the final piece i think back to what you mentioned about snake eater being <laughs> sort of our attempt at james bond in music and so i i recently played through and beat uh, one ending admittedly so hardly beaten, but near automata, ah. and I've chosen Weight of the World from that score. The whole album for that game is truly uh, fantastic. But Weight of the World, I would say, if if Snake Eater is the James Bond mm -hmm. song from video games, I would say this is the Cirque du Soleil <laughs> piece from video games. Uh, any Cirque du Soleil fans might understand what I mean by that if they listen to Weight of the World, but it's kind of this... Uh, call for hope uh and and not even thinking about the lyrics itself but there's something so empowering about the rising the vocals of climax the vocals are yes. very up and in the front in this piece of music it, it just mm, feels like it's definitely. the center of the stage if that makes sense um and the yeah and you feel around. like you come through something yep. like you've come through a big challenge uh and so it's it's kind of this nice explosion of you know you can't hold it in this is so much drama it's coming through it's very theatrical it's very musical theater yeah. in all in all ways and almost a little uh sort of uh irreverent to the content of the game itself but it is it is a wonderful moment in the game where you hear this piece so that's that rounds out sort of the three pieces from my concert that i would that's want to cool. include um so given that we've talked about snake eater I, th I think we can we can chop that off my list in terms of <laughs> it was on my list, and oh, I'm so it's, sorry. It's, it's, okay, I, th I think I think we we all are aware of what Snake Eater's like that big Bond theme. But if we were to, to talk about some other themes that are quite infamous in gaming, now harkening towards back to the video game crown, but having something that brings out more of a specific feeling out of you, something like um, dramatic action, war, that type of stuff. I think the battlefield theme is just perfect for that. There is just a swirling orchestra with sounds of big 
drums and trumpets throughout the whole theme. I think it's one of these songs that everyone could connect to in terms of not just the gaming audience being, you know, just an infamous theme, but also just hearkening to, you know, movie, war-type movies and all that kind of stuff and action films, slightly. I just think it's a great... It's almost like a celebration, the song, a celebration of victory of gaming and, and that type of music being so, you know, swirling and, and getting to this point where we can we can, we can can create a theme like this. So that's definitely one that I would definitely include just because of my personal history of Battlefield and also just because I love I love the theme so much. It's a great pick. I, can, I, rem, I know it distinctly. It is one of those memorable themes and uh, what an awesome piece that mm-hmm. would be to put in. I think the last choice I would choose is probably something that's a bit more dear to my heart. Um, a bit more from the Eastern culture in terms of uh, something a bit more Nintendo-like. Um, I think the one I'd, I'd, I'd want to talk about now is probably something like Pokemon. Again, straddling the, the, the lines between mainstream and also the gaming audience. So what I would do would be not just to you know have one particular theme, but really hearken in on the Gen 1, Gen 2 type you know, music. Mm. So maybe something like Pallet Town, Route One, the Wild Battle theme. Maybe then bringing it up a bit more of a hatchet with some of the gym leader themes. Maybe Lance and Red theme from Gold. Just you know, up in the stakes within you know the ensemble, from a bit more quiet and you know gentle to something a bit more active with the battling theme and then you know something a bit more high stakes with the lance theme and then also throwing in perhaps the anime soundtrack which might seem very odd but you know a lot of people's introductions and you know memories with pokemon as a franchise was the anime and it's just something extra that people can connect to within you know the 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 concert so that would be my third pick you know again something quite popular um but something that's a bit more actually Rather than, you know, elevating the medium, but a blend of elevating the medium and memorable motifs. Elevating the medium being more of the the anime soundtrack stuff and the, sure. the battles. Whereas the memorable motifs would be more of the gentle, um, gentle, gentle music. Definitely. No, and I, I see it for sure. And what a great multimedia tie-in mm. as well, right? I mean, having the visuals from the anime there as well. I mean, this is a lot of people's first exposure to anime in general but also for pokemon right it is so intertwined the story of ash and pallet town and and now going throughout these different uh areas and having new themes makes perfect sense cool there's 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 so much more that we would have loved to have discussed but unfortunately um this this podcast is quite it's quite a long one at the moment luke so so hopefully sometime we can we can discuss it later but again like luke said we've we've created these oko guest playlists that we will be continuing to produce for future guests um that you can find perhaps in the description of the podcast or just on um, on spotify if you type in oko o-h-k-o guest playlist you'll be able to find you know everybody that's been on here and their and their playlists of choice definitely awesome i really enjoyed it emil i know we promised to keep this episode <laughs> short i'm glad that we failed miserably at no that. but it's it's been uh, fascinating just <laughs> you know discussing music more in general going really deep into you know the composition the blending of real life real life but normal music and video game music and then your experiences with with video game concerts which is something that i've 
I've I've really wanted to be you know wanted to know about in terms of how they've been produced and composed and you know the planning that goes into it. So thank you, Luke. You know for for talking about those experiences and and coming onto the podcast. A pleasure. I look forward to next time returning as well. And uh, just a, a, a brief shout out yeah, a sure. couple of things that I think would be uh, awesome for for people to check out. Uh, unfortunately, the full concert from Game On was not released publicly, oh. but. Kennedy Center, as a part of their uh, sort of bringing the stage to everyone during COVID, mm-hmm. did put together a beautiful three-minute highlight reel from that concert set. So if you search on, on YouTube, Kennedy Center Game On Concert, you'll hopefully see uh, some of the songs and some of the performances from that concert. So I highly recommend people check that out as well. Uh, not sponsored by Kennedy Center, <laughs> that's for sure. So purely at your own entertainment. But... Uh, two other things that I think would be great to just share is if you're curious about sort of the the music theory behind different video game scores, yep. a channel that I've come across on YouTube is really does a nice job of going into a variety of different topics for major games. Uh, it's called 8-Bit Music okay. Theory. Highly recommend it for music theory nerds who want to either sound more impressive in front of other music <laughs> junkies, but also uh, want to just understand why it is that they like some of these game music so much, because there's a lot more complexity and depth behind it than just a simple melody and a simple art to go with it. Cool. So cool. Highly recommend. Those sound really interesting. I'll, I'll definitely be checking mm-hmm. those out. Cool. Like I said, awesome. um, thanks for having you. Thanks for, thanks for being on this episode, Luke. Rather. Um, it's been great. Um, next week we will be back hopefully with Rob um, and perhaps another guest we'll, we'll see we don't know what the plan will be next week Blasphemous is still in the pipeline don't worry guys it's still <laughs> on the list to do so that's that's that's, that's coming down the line but yeah um, again thanks for, for listening to the po- this podcast um, again like subscribe to our channels on Spotify on Facebook on Twitter soon to be instagram and and send us your questions and answers to one hit ko podcast at gmail.com if you've got any queries or questions that you'd like to be answered unfortunately we don't have time for questions and answers this week but hopefully we'll we'll get back to that next week so luke thank you again and um shall we finish this with a one hit ko absolutely i'm gonna give it my all three two one one hit, One hit KO. KO. Cool. Thank you again, Luke. Love it. Ah, uh, a true pleasure. <laughs>